0: And um, as introverted as I may be, being isolated for a long time is just not healthy. And it was extra strange because this is the time of the year for get-togethers, right, vacation, and time to spend with families. And to be more specific, this is the season for graduations. I rec- recently received an update from my college friends and it reminded me of those good old days at University of Maryland. I remember walking through the mckeldin Mall, hanging out at Stamp Union, spending late nights at the libraries, cramming for exams. I also remember seeing print catalogs of the next semester courses. And what's on the cover is usually predictable and formulaic. It's usually featuring students of different ethnic backgrounds, smiling and maybe even posing together. The same thing with websites and other promotional material. And I've always wondered are they really friends or are they just paid actors? But the message my alma mater is trying to send is clear. University of Maryland is a place where young men and women everywhere can unite together in education. They claim that the diverse student body is a testimony of its effective foundation. Now, I'm not here to argue for or against that notion. I can speak confidently of a much better foundation for unity and diversity. It's the gospel. Is why we're gathered here as a church today. Because of our common faith in Jesus, we'll spend eternity with people different from us. And that kind of diversity and unity is what matters most. And as we'll see in today's passage, that kind of unity and diversity serves as an effective promotion of the gospel and even a defense of the gospel. Before we read, here's a quick recap of Galatians up to this point. In chapters 1 and 2, Paul's defending his gospel and his ministry from his enemies. They're undermining his apostleship and the message he preaches to the Gentiles. In their minds, the enemy's minds, the Jerusalem leaders are the only ones who can say what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. They claim Paul received his authority from Jerusalem, but then as he left them to preach to the Gentiles, they're saying that he started twisting the message, leaving out circumcision and other necessary legal requirements of the gospel. But Paul counters and tells the true story of his conversion and apostleship. Jesus himself taught him the gospel of justification by grace apart from works. When Christ revealed himself to Paul, at that point, he was not a seeker or curious about the faith. In fact, he was a persecutor, an enemy of the church. He became an apostle only by God's will, not by any human authority. His ministry was independent of Jerusalem, and it remained that way for many years. That's how Galatians 1 ends. As we turn the page to chapter 2 of Galatians, we see a change. There's a progression not only in time, but also in circumstances. Not only ministries running parallel to each other, but also intersecting. Paul goes from minimal contact with the earliest apostles to teamwork and fellowship with them. Over time, this kind of cooperation was inevitable and necessary. To understand why, we'll need to fill the timeline from the timeline of the early church from the last verse of chapter 1 to the first verse of chapter 2, which spans more than a decade. So in the second half of the 30s A.D. and throughout the 40s, the churches of Judea were growing, and the churches in Samaria were established. As the earliest disciples were faithful to the Great Commission, their influence was expanding beyond Jerusalem. Luke reports in Acts 9.31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria, had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. This spread of the gospel happened just as our Lord predicted earlier in chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends end of the earth. On to the next step. How will their witness go to the ends of the earth? It's easy to relate to fellow Jews, but what about non-Jews? They were used to separation from them. They couldn't eat or even enter the house of a Gentile. But in Acts 10 and 11, the Lord was pushing his mostly Jewish followers to the margins. God has arranged Peter to meet a Roman soldier named Cornelius at his home. Peter shared the gospel with him and others. And he saw with his own eyes the same blessings of salvation fall on them, just as it happened to his fellow Jews at Pentecost. When Peter reported what had happened, some in Jerusalem didn't like what Peter did because he violated Jewish customs by eating with the Gentiles. But he defended his actions, explained the vision he saw, and the believers then glorified God. But the controversy was far from over. There were still some Jews, uncomfortable, letting Gentiles into their fold. How will the Jerusalem leaders handle this issue? How can Paul, the apostle to the nations, help? So let's see what happens in Galatians 2, 1-10. to if you're using the Pew Bible, it'll be in page 811. Remember, if you don't have a Bible, please take one of these with you. Galatians 2, 1 to 10, in page 811 of your Pew Bible. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in, by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. So one way to get a handle on this passage is to focus on two major headings. First, gospel unity. Second, gospel diversity. In verses 1 to 5, picture a doorway into a house. Paul explains how a Gentile Christian, a non-Jew named Titus, was welcomed into a company of Jewish believers. There was no hindrance, no burden of the Mosaic law imposed on him, no requirement of circumcision. He was not stopped at the door by a buff bouncer and told, whoa, buddy, you can't be in here. Titus was accepted, and we learn from such welcome about gospel unity. Moving from verses 1 to 5 to verses 6 to 10, we go past the entrance door into the conference room. There we see not only gospel unity, but also gospel diversity. We learn that though the message is the same at all times, there are different audiences, targets, and strategies. It's inevitable as we go and make disciples of all nations. Paul says something similar in First Corinthians nine nineteen to twenty three. Look that up later, I'll just read it for you. First Corinthians nine, nineteen to twenty-three. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. So in his grace, God chose Paul and used his unique set of skills and talents to take the good news to the world. The urgency and the size of this global task calls for diversity in approach. Peter and Paul demonstrate how to shake hands, wave goodbye, and stay in touch as each fulfill their respective mission. From their example, we learn to partner in gospel diversity. So let's bring this all together against the common enemy, against those who attempt to enslave Gentiles under the law and compromise the gospel. We must take two actions. First, maintain gospel unity so that its truth remains. Maintain gospel unity so that its truth remains. That's verses 1 to 5. Second, partner In gospel diversity, so that its message spreads. Partner in gospel diversity, so that its message spreads. That's verses 6 to 10. First, maintain gospel unity, so that its truth remains. I've derived the wording of this principle mostly from verses 4 to 5, but let's start with verse 1. Now, I said earlier that it's been over a decade since the events of chapter 1. I was intentionally vague with the phrase over a decade, and here's why. The phrase after 14 years can mean one of two things. One, 14 years since Paul's last visit to Jerusalem, narrated in Galatians 1, 18-24. Or two, 14 years since Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road, narrated in Galatians 1, 15-17. So We're talking about two options, either 14 years or 17 years since his conversion, landing at either 47 or 50 AD. Now, you may not think this is a big deal, but if you're trying to harmonize Acts with Galatians, so basically if you're a Bible nerd, it can be, dare I say, a fun activity. If it has been 17 years, today's passage most likely relates to Acts 15, the well-known Jerusalem council. If it has been 13 years, today's passage most likely corresponds to Acts eleven twenty-seven to thirty. Uh, so it, it's the lesser, uh, which was uh, um, the lesser-known famine relief visit to Jerusalem. So my view is that Galatians two one through ten took place 14 years after Paul's conversion around 47 A.D. It's okay if you don't share my view, by the way. So godly pastors and theologians disagree on this matter. Yet they have no trouble agreeing on the main points of this passage. But still, I'll speak in support of my position. I'll say that it's vital to Paul's defense that he is thorough. He must include in his account all of his journeys to Jerusalem. If Paul's narrating the events of Acts 15 in today's passage, he'd be skipping over his visit in Acts 11, 27 to 30. And that's not an airtight argument. His enemies could pounce on that and say, ah, you're keeping some secret from us. So I think Acts 11, 27 to 30 guides our discussion of today's passage, Galatians 2, 1 to 10. So let me read Acts 11 for you. 27 to 30, And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. And this they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And Acts eleven twenty seven 27 to 30 leads right into Galatians 2. So there you have the prophetic revelation and the occasion for the visit to deliver the relief funds to the Jerusalem region. But Paul had another additional agenda, even more important than helping the poor. The gospel was about to go to the ends of the earth, like I said earlier, beyond Judea and Samaria, so it was time for the major leaders of Christianity to communicate and get on the same page. Specifically, Paul wanted to make sure that his ministry to the Gentiles is done the right way. In verse 2 and elsewhere in Philippians 2.16 and 1 Corinthians 9.24-27, to 27, Paul uses images of athletic competition to describe his ministry aspirations. To be clear, when he talks about running in vain at the end of verse two in Galatians two, he's not worried about whether he got the content of the gospel right. Whether it's about whether he got the application of the gospel right. So Paul, by no means a subordinate to his fellow apostles, takes his mission project and runs it by his co-workers. A private meeting took place with Paul, Barnabas, Titus, James, the half-brother of Jesus, Peter, also called Cephas, and John, the son of Zebedee. And this is a strange invitation list of names. Some of you remember that Sesame Street song that goes like, one of these things is not like the others. One of these things just doesn't belong. Can you tell which thing is not like the others by the time I finish my song? And when the time's up, the answer is that it's Titus who's not like the others. In the eyes of the world is the Gentile who just doesn't belong. Normally here's a fraternity where this Greek guy cannot join. And this could easily sound like a beginning of a joke. Five Jews and a Gentile walk into a room, but it's not a joke. They all walk through that door as equals. Now, we don't know much about his origins, but Titus was probably, most likely, an early convert of Paul's ministry, perhaps in Tarsus or Syrian Antioch. He was well known to the saints. He was a brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches, later Paul's trusted partner and fellow worker. Here at this meeting, Titus served another important purpose. He was there as a sample of Paul's Gentile ministry. Titus was like the cluster of grapes the Israelite spies brought back from the promised land. Titus would be Paul's show-and-tell, a live specimen, a semester project that'll get him an A+. It's also proof that the Judaizers are wrong about Paul, wrong about his ministry, and wrong about his relationship to the other apostles. All of these men can enter that room together because this isn't any social group. This is the body of Christ. Jesus broke down the middle wall of separation, creating in himself one new man from two. Talk about Jews and Gentiles. Preaching peace to those afar off and those who are near. Jews and Greeks, slave and free, are baptized by and made to drink into one spirit, having access to the Father. This message of unity was hidden, it was a hidden mystery until the present church age. Paul says in Ephesians 3 5 to 6, it has been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Because of Jesus, we have liberty in him. Because of what Jesus has done, we are no longer under bondage to the law. Together, we must stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. We must maintain that gospel unity of Jews and Gentiles so that its truth remains. So the apostles set a good example for us and if you look again in verses 4 and 5 look where it starts and where it ends I find it remarkable that what happens in Jerusalem affects what happens in Galatia Behind closed doors at this local church there are talks that echo to the universal church Look at the cause and effect the leaders welcome Titus and thereby resisted the false brethren who infiltrated the ranks. The Jerusalem leaders kept the message pure so that the truth of the gospel might continue with the Galatian believers. Ultimately, that message passes through time, even to us. The early church maintained gospel unity so that its truth would remain for believers all over the world. The mission continues, even today. Saints here, everywhere, must maintain gospel unity so that its truth remains for other believers. I used to think that spreading the gospel is a lonely task of evangelizing the lost in some faraway country, some isolated individual effort. But every time we meet together and function biblically as a church, we uphold gospel truth. We do that by our words. Every time we sing, read, and proclaim the scriptures together, we're making a global, international, universal impact. I'll just say it like this. What we do here this morning matters in this universe. Ephesians 3.10 says that the manifold wisdom of God is made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. This small group of, I don't know how many people here, maybe 50, 60, in this small town, limited as we are, proclaim truths, gospel truths, unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And it's not only our talk, it's our unity that'll promote God's glory. Our Lord prayed for this. He did not pray for his Jewish disciples alone, but also for those who will believe in him through their word, that they all may be one. How are we doing in this effort? If you're a member of this church, you made a promise in the covenant. I desire to unite with this portion of his visible body, the church. How have you contributed to our unity. It's not rocket science. You can start with a small gesture. I remember in my former church of about a thousand members, I got an email message from a brother one day. He was going to the membership directory, saw our names, and wanted to know how he could pray for us. It was a simple yet profound gesture of unity. It's our hope that the world sees our unity in Christ and that will strengthen our testimony to the lost. And this world is big and many are living in sin and dying without Christ. The task of reaching them is urgent. So that leads us to the second action, partner in gospel diversity so that its message spreads. That's verses 6 to 10. So after welcoming Paul, Barnabas, and yes, Titus, this meeting commenced. The roster set. It didn't matter to Paul that Peter and John were the earliest followers of Jesus in his adult ministry. It didn't matter to Paul that James grew up with the Lord. It didn't matter whether one was a Pharisee, others were fishermen, or another was a Greek. God shows personal favoritism to no man. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. What matters most is whether the Jerusalem apostles have anything to add to Paul's gospel ministry, and it turns out they added nothing. They didn't correct Paul like the way Aquila and Prisca corrected Apollos. They didn't take him aside and explain to him the way of God more accurately. Paul got both the message and the method right. So they recognized Paul's diverse ministry of the gospel for all nations. Peter was equipped and sent to the Jews. They perceived that Paul was a uniquely prepared, gifted, and sent to the Gentiles. But they're energized by the same God, fueled by the same Spirit, united in Jesus. So the most influential members of the Jerusalem church, the pillars of that community, extended their right hand to Paul and Barnabas. They went their separate ways, but stayed connected in the way of Jesus. They partnered in gospel diversity so that his message could spread. And one practical way they continue their relationship is through financial support. That's what we see in verse 10. Remember that Paul and Barnabas went down to Jerusalem to help those affected by a famine. And that problem would continue. And there were already poor, the poor among the saints there, the widows and orphans that needed much support. And later in his journeys, Paul would continue to collect offerings from more financially well-off congregations throughout the Roman Empire to help the Jerusalem church. With vigilance and support for one another, various churches in the first century partnered in gospel diversity so that its message spreads everywhere. This is something practical that we're doing right now, even right here at our church. When you get a chance, check out the wall of the narthex on the left side as you enter the lobby, before you enter this auditorium. We've extended our right hand of fellowship, and we financially support gospel ministries in all four continents of the world. And we want to continue to partner in gospel diversity so that its message spreads. Now, all this time, I assume that you all know what that gospel message is. But if you're listening and you're not sure about it, let me tell you, it's the most important truth you'll ever hear. We offer small classes that explain what the gospel is. It's called Christianity Explained and Christianity Explored. So please talk to me about it. Also, please pay attention as I talk about it and present it now. God created all of us in his image to enjoy him and his works forever. But it did not take long in human history for us to turn away from the Lord. We rebelled against our Creator's authority over our lives, breaking His laws, sinning in thought, word, and deed. We take pride in sexual sins. We coveted, we lied to others, blasphemed God's name. We committed sins actively and passively, sins of commission and omission. As a penalty for our wrongs, we deserve to be separated from the Holy God, in eternal punishment. But our good Lord did not leave us as we are. He had a a plan. God chose Israel out of all the nations and gave them this promise. One of their own will be the Savior of the world, through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But to be our Savior, the Son of God, must be the sacrificial Lamb of God. He lived a perfect life, being God and man at the same time. We'll talk about Jesus. And he offered himself up at the cross. He died in our place as our substitute, taking the penalty of sin that we should pay. Having finished the work of salvation at the cross, he was buried and he rose again on the third day. He ascended to heaven, and someday he'll return to judge all mankind. When he comes back, he'll gather his chosen ones, believers from all over the world, Jew and Gentile, a beautiful combination of unity and diversity. Heaven will be a gathering of saints from different backgrounds and from different points in history. Yet despite our differences, we profess and hold to one hope, one Lord, one faith we worship one God and Father of all. We sing, we sang about this glorious future earlier, worshiping Jesus. Oh, that with all the sacred throng, we at his feet may fall. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. If you want to be part of that Wonderful, glorious kingdom. Time to secure your entrance is now. Before you breed your last on earth, be sure you're right with God. Repent and believe. Repent, turn from your sins and yourself. Believe, turn to Jesus and ask him to forgive you and save you from the penalty of your evil choices. This is the only way to be saved. You cannot earn your way to heaven, do good things to make up for your bad things. Accept the gift of eternal life by grace, not by the works of the law. Place your hope of heaven in Jesus alone. Receive Christ as a humble beggar would receive a gift from a good benevolent king. We pray that the gospel would speak to you and that its truth would remain and continue with you. Know that this is not a human message. This is the word of God. We're praying that you too would receive it and spread it to the lost. Our prayer is this. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful that as it was 2,000 years ago and as it is now, the gospel is going to the nations, going to different people, and that you have united Jews and Gentiles, people from different tribes and tongues to come together to forsake their sin and to come before you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we're facing a task that is unfinished. Lord, we're seeing that there's many people in this generation, different parts of the world that needs to hear the gospel. Would you use us even in where we are in this area, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our network of friendships and relationships? Help us to identify those who do not know you or those who think they know you but really don't. And Lord, we're thankful that as you have uniquely made us, we have unique relationships of unique gifts, and we're able to take the gospel to those who need to hear it. May we partner with each other and recognize the gifts that we have and recognize the need that's around us. Use us, Lord. And we thank you for this privilege of being your servants. pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.